Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. My name is David, one of the pastors on staff. For those of you who don't know me, um, I get the privilege to preach and kick off a new series called Shadows. It's going through the book of Hebrews. Let me pray for us first. We just had a lot take place from worship to where usually I'd be already up here, but it's amazing what we get to be part of. God, well, I pray now that you just clear our heads. Um, help us to just focus in on your word, focus in on you, Jesus, who you are, what you've done who you have been and always have been before time even began. And then we can look back at your word and see that from creation, Lord, all the way to where we can see that you're going to restore all things. So God, help us to focus in on that. Lord, I pray that you'll speak through me, that it be your words, not mine. And God, that you will transform our hearts to look more and more like you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are kicking off this sermon series called Shadows. Shadows is a sermon series preaching through the book of Hebrews. We're going to walk through this whole book just verse by verse, section by section for I think about the next 16 weeks or so. And the reason that we're calling it Shadows is because of this. To fully understand Hebrews, you have to look back to the Old Testament. You have to look back at the Old Testament see what God had done All that he pointed to was pointing to Jesus to fully understand Hebrews, but more than just to understand Hebrews is to fully understand who Jesus is and to understand the gospel. Because Jesus wasn't just born in a manger and there he was. Like his story began a long, long ago, and he was before time. So when we think of the gospel, we usually think just New Testament. But here's the deal. The gospel story is the long-awaited conclusion to all the, the Old Testament, to all that was told there. It's, he's the, it's the gospel is the fulfillment of all the promises and realizes all the types and shadows of Jesus that we see in the Old Testament. And what I mean by types and shadows of the Old Testament is this, is that throughout the whole Old Testament, everything is pointing to Jesus. We cannot read the story of Noah and the ark or Moses and the Ten Commandments or, or any of these covenants that God made with his people and remove Jesus from it. We can't do that. If we do, we're missing who Jesus is. We're not getting a full, clear picture of all that he's done and all that he's still doing in this world. See, everything was foreshadowing the coming Messiah. You might be wondering, what do you mean by foreshadowing and types of Christ? And so I am not the smartest guy. So I went and I scoured and read and read and read. And then I just like, you know what? This dude said it better than me. So I'm just going to read from this theologian, Stephen Coleman. This is what he wrote. When the apostles read the Old Testament, they saw references to Christ and his kingdom as it were on every page. Jesus is the second Adam, the perfect lawkeeper, the scion of David who would sit on David's throne forever, the ultimate singer of the Psalms, the wisdom of God, the suffering servant, the perfect high priest, to name just a few. 
The theological foundation for this conviction is that God is sovereign over history, and he is the ultimate author of Scripture. As such, God announced beforehand in type and shadow, promise and prophecy, the redemption he would accomplish through his incarnate son. He did this so that his people might believe on the promised Messiah prior to his coming, and so that those who know the Christ who has come might have a greater understanding of the work that he accomplished through his suffering and glory. So hear that. Everything God did in the Old Testament was to point his people to a coming Messiah and then for us to better comprehend why he did what he did and the glory that is bestowed upon him. That's why it matters so much that we understand God from cover to cover through his word. The word is God. It is Jesus himself, and he has given it to us so that we may know him. So our big idea for today is this. To fully understand the redemptive work of Jesus, we must fully understand God from creation to restoration. We have to, guys. I'm going to dig into this deeper, but I want you to know, like, if we don't understand who Jesus is from the Old Testament, you will have misconceptions of who Jesus is, and you will believe false things about him. It's easy to not follow him 100% the way that we should. Though we were in the sin, of course, but there's things you're going to miss out on by not knowing Jesus through the Old Testament. But let me give you just a little bit of background of Hebrews, okay? First of all, we don't know who wrote it. Not like me and Corey and Jeff and like Heights, like literally like everyone. No one knows who wrote it. If they say they know who wrote it, they're lying to you because, and they think they're smarter than they are. Nowhere can you say, yep, this is it, because like, people are like, well, Paul wrote it. Nah, not really a different language and style of writing. Probably Paul is it addressed the letters. So it's, it, we don't know. What we do know is that the Holy Spirit inspired every last word of it, the same as he did with every other book of the Bible. It's a God's inerrant word. And for some reason, God did not see it fit for us to know who wrote it. Maybe it would have skewed how we read it. God is sovereign. He is good. And so the author, honestly, the earthly author, does not matter. But we do know when it was written. It was written sometime between 60 and 70 A.D. It's probably that most people say around like, like the 65 to 67 mark that it was written to Hellenistic Jewish Christians. Hellenistic Jews are Greek Jews. This matters very, very much for several things. One, because their Jewish background, their, their understanding of God from the Old Testament was skewing what they believed about Jesus. They were lingering towards going back to their old ways, to their Jewish traditions, their Jewish laws and customs, because this following Jesus thing is hard. And this idea of, eh, I'll just live out a really, moralistic, a really good moralistic life and follow some rules, that sounds easy. Some of you would prefer that. You would like just a list of rules. Do this, and you'll be good with God. Well, that's not how God works. He shows us the rules because he's going to show us you can't follow them because you're a sinner. That's the whole point of the law. The point is to our sinfulness. And so he's, this author, he's saying, hey, don't do that. And now us, for 99% of us, maybe there's someone in this room who's came from a Jewish faith and now you're a Christian. 99% of us, though, can't go back to a Jewish faith because we didn't have a Jewish faith to begin with. But what we will do post becoming a Christian is we want to go back to thinking the way we used to think. And for some of you, that's saying, you know what? I'm pretty good at following rules. I'm going to just try to earn God's favor. I'm going to just do the rules. And what you're saying then is, I don't need a savior. 
I really don't need a savior. I can be my own savior by following rules. God will love me if I do these things. Hear me. He will not love you any more today or any less tomorrow. Like, it's not, it doesn't change. Like he does, he's not going to love a version of you in five years more because you got your stuff together. And guess what? You won't have your stuff together because as soon as you get this thing fixed, then this over here goes haywire. Trust me. That's me every, every dang day. I'm like, wow, mess that up. Like, so... That's, that's the thing. It's like, so if you're saying, man, I'm going to live this moralistic life, well, then I don't need a savior. But then on the other hand, maybe you just go back to saying, you know what? I think I know best. I'm going to do things my way because my way feels better. My way is more fun. My way makes more sense to me in the moment. Then what you're saying is I don't need a king. I'll be king. So what, whichever way you want to go, you're going to try to go back to this path. It's the same thing. And that's why it's important for us to dig into Hebrews by go, and then look at it through the Old Testament. Because what we're doing then is we're seeing the cross cast this shadow across the whole thing, saying this is who Jesus is. This is who he is. Because we don't want to falsely believe about God. We don't want to falsely believe about God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We want to understand who he is fully. And when we have a misunderstanding, usually it is because of a lack of biblical understanding because we did not dive into the Bible ourselves. And so our first point is this. God has made himself known to his creation since the beginning of time. How did he do that? Well, through creation, through the, through the laws, through all the things that he did. But Jesus is the fullest, final, ultimate revelation of who God is. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So Jesus is this final authority. The story of Jesus did not begin in a manger. It didn't begin there, or even when the angel came to Mary and said that she's going to have this, you know, immaculate conception and, and that Jesus is going to be born of a virgin. Like, that's not where it began. It began all the way back, all the way back when he said, let's, let's create man in our image. And things started getting created because God spoke. It was Jesus who spoke. It was him through his word. And he, the author of Hebrews wanted his readers to understand that. Because they were, they, were, they were trying to follow Jesus, but they kept getting pulled back. And he's like, hey, yes, all that stuff you know, all those laws, all those customs, all those traditions, all the festivals, all the sacrifices, that all makes sense. It is all to point you to him and what he was going to do on the cross. Don't forget it. Cling to it. But cling to the cross and to Jesus first. Look at it all through the lens of the cross and what he's done. So understanding who Jesus is from the Old Testament, though, it's not just so you can have deep theology. I hope that you have theology. I hope that you have good, solid doctrine. And some of you may be thinking, well, I don't, I don't have theology, dude. I didn't go to seminary. I'm, just, I'm doing good to, like, read my Bible, okay? I don't have theology. Actually, you do. I guarantee you do. Because if you got into a conversation with someone about God, about Jesus, about the Bible, I'm going to promise you that something has been retained and you're going to be able to discuss parts of that. You may not have deep like theology and be able to go into all this like crazy stuff. I can't even do it and I went to seminary. But my point being is like we all have something. We all have something we can cling to. And but I don't want you to have theology for the sake of having head knowledge. I want you to have it so that it changes your heart. 
Your doctrines, your beliefs should, should change your heart. Yeah, you can have a bunch of, you can be book smart and not know Jesus. It doesn't matter. Your heart's got to be changed. So God's giving this information to us so we can know him intimately, not just theoretically. He wants us to really, really know him. And so that's why it says that he has spoken in these last days through his son, Jesus. I need you to get that because what's going to happen in your life is things are going to go wrong. They're not going to go the way that you planned them. Things are going to happen, and you're going to be really shooken. Your, your whole foundation of who you are maybe even questioned. And I'm going to give you like just a personal example of this. I'm going to pull back the curtain and just... And, and so you can hear, because this is how I feel like understanding who God is from cover to cover of the Bible has helped me just in recent days or weeks. So many of you know in my family, like we, it's my wife, Emily, and I, and we have three kids. Our twin boys, they're 13. They, uh, they're coming back from a basketball tournament. They went one and one today, so they got their first win of the AAU season. I'm pumped. I wish I was there, but I'm with you, and I'm more excited to preach. So, but regardless... So two boys, they're 13. We also have a daughter who we adopted when she was nine. She's 19 now. Next week will mark one year from when she moved out of our house because when she turned 18, rules were not going to make sense for her anymore. She's like, I'm not doing this. I can't stop you. You're 18. I hate it, but it is what it is to some extent. There's a whole bunch more to that story. We, our twins came through doing in vitro. So our whole marriage, which will be 19 years in August, has been marked by infertility. It's hard. It's real hard. And we wanted to foster, and that didn't, it's an adopt, and it didn't go as planned. Like, no one wants to adopt a kid that like, doesn't want you later, right? Like, none of us want that. That's probably like a parent's worst nightmare. So last week at the marriage retreat, you know, we're, we're here and we're talking and we went to lunch and it was cool. We, we're coming back, not even a far drive. We're at Agavero, just up the road. And like, we're talking about communication because that's what this was like. How are we communicating? My wife's like, well, pretty good, but we haven't really like came to terms what we're going to do about fostering again because we haven't communicated well about it. It's like, you're right. Okay. Like, we're not fighting. Some of you know, like fights happen at the marriage retreat, right? Like you go for that weekend, Friday night and Saturday, and you're like, this is going to be awesome. And then by like sa Saturday morning, like you hate each other because God's revealed all this mess in your marriage. Not this year for us. It was cool. That's happened in the past. Not this year. We were, we were on the same page. It was awesome. But then I got back after that conversation about possibly fostering again, and I was, and I was mad. Not at her. At God. A set right over there. Literally, wasn't going to sing. I'm trying to fight back tears at that moment because I was like, I don't want to see me cry. I'm tougher than that. I ain't going to cry. Don't cry. I do, but I didn't want you to know that I did. And so the song was Run to the Father. And it goes, you know, we run to the Father. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to run to you. I want to. You said be fruitful and multiply. We can't. You, through the whole Old Testament, we're told to, to care for the orphans. Not just in James 1.27 where it says that caring for the orphans and widows is pure religion, true religion. Not just there. It's a, this is an Old Testament idea. And so I'm sitting there mad. Wouldn't sing. And then as I processed through that with my wife later and then throughout the week, I, 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 was, I had to repent. Because when I look back 
at the whole picture of who God is and who Jesus is, I have zero right to be mad. Zero. For one, I don't deserve the kids or the wife that I have. Not one bit. I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. That's it. Thank God that he showed enough grace that he gave me the kids that we have. And in even the, the nine plus years with my daughter, God is sovereign. It's in his control. But also, if you read through the Old Testament, when, when Abraham and Sarah get told they're going to have a baby and they laugh, do you know who was there? It says the angel of the Lord. There was three angels. The angel of the Lord is the one. It was Jesus. It's a type of Christ. It's pointing to him. So if he can, in their 90s, get pregnant, we're going to turn 40 in, a, in six, seven months. I hope he does. If, God's, if that's God's plan, I hope he does it soon. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. I mean, I don't want to be like 60 and people see me bringing my kid to church or school. Like, that's cute. Her grandpa or his grandpa is bringing them to church. Like, I hope. Like, if that's God's plan, but if it's not, I also, because I, I sat just and sat in his word and just took it in, just took it in to see who Jesus really is, then it, if I just look at the, at the New Testament, I'm going to miss part of it. I can't do that. That's why he's calling his readers to, to, to remember Think of that call to confession that Mark did, talking about, like, I, mean, I know that seemed like forever ago now because we, we've been here a bit, but, like, it's about trusting God and who he is. We even sang a song, like, I will trust in Jesus. Like, I wasn't trusting in Jesus in that moment because I was believing parts of him. I wasn't believing the whole picture of who he is. We have to be able to draw from the whole Bible. Do I still want to know answers of why to some of this stuff? Yes. Do I still desire for God to work and move in my family? Yes. But then he did. And you want to know how? The last not three days ago, Thursday, but a week before that, I get a phone call from a, a basketball coach at the middle school that my boys are on a team I helped coach and said, hey, one of the kids, I'm, his mom has got to move to Texas, and she's and like immediately, there's a lot that goes into the story, and she's, she's, she's taking him with her, and she's going to Texas. He's going to have to like figure out finishing school there. And so like I, I, call, I tell my wife, and, and her and I are talking, and we both had the same thing laid on our heart. What if we offer that he can live with us to finish school? And so I called the mom. I'm like, hey, would this, would this work? If God perfectly positioned our family and that we were able to bring in another 13-year-old into our home so that we could, maybe just for three months, love him, point him to Jesus, show him just what living out the gospel looks like. God is sovereign. And I don't do, yes, I can get that in the New Testament, but I don't get the full picture of it from just the New Testament. I need the whole Old Testament. I tell you all that about going on just because if you don't stop and see who he is from creation to restoration, you will lose part of it. And you will let things like what I've experienced or what you have experienced Skew your thoughts of Jesus, and you'll be like, I don't like Jesus because he's not this. No, he is. He's everything, but he's not fitting in your perfect picture of what you thought it'd be, and that's okay because he's bigger than us, and he's got a bigger plan than you could ever imagine. I didn't think two months ago that I'd have another 13-year-old in my house. They're brain dead enough with two of them, and I got three, and they eat a lot. 
So, thank they, yeah, thank you. We gotta take it in. We have to. That the author knew that. That we have to pay attention to who Jesus is fully. And so then he lays out a whole bunch about who Jesus is. And that's our next point, Jesus is. When you look at this, he says, He's spoken in these last days by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. There's a lot there in just those few verses. I mean, he is the final word from God. He is positioned in such he has a name higher than the angels. He is heir. He is sitting down at the right hand of the Father, which will break down more. He is upholding the universe. Do you guys understand that this God who spoke everything into existence, if he was to cease to do what he does, planets would start crashing into one another, stars would be going everywhere, and then, I don't know, a black hole would suck us into the multiverse. I don't even know there really is a multiverse, but I like Marvel, so there you go. Like, there's something bad's going to happen if he doesn't keep things going. He's upholding it all. That's who he is. Like, he is pointing to Jesus' deity in this, that he is God himself, that he's not just a created being. There's so much packed in those few verses. And the author of Hebrews, he's building a case here. He's, say, he's wanting them to understand, yes, all that, all that from the Old Testament. You're right. But look, this is the fulfillment of it all. We have to look back at it through the cross, though, and see that Jesus is, is it so that we, stay anch- that we stay anchored in him. Think about this. I didn't, I didn't know this, and I think it was either Corey or, or Brian Bastille in our worship planning said this. In, in the New Testament, there's 474 Old Testament references. So throughout the books of the, uh, from Matthew to Revelation, there's 474 times that the Old Testament is referenced. 82 of them come from Hebrews. Do you think maybe it's important? Like, he wants us to see. God ultimately wants us to see. And so it matters so much that we don't try to separate God, Old Testament and New Testament. People too often want to say, well, I love the God of the New Testament. I like God of the Old Testament. That's not God for me. He's full of vengeance and wrath. He's the same God. Jesus talked about hell a lot. And guess what? God in the New Testament still struck people dead. Go read in Acts. They lied about some money dead. He ain't playing no games. He's still the same God. But what we do is like, oh no, like I I don't see that. Well, when we fully understand Jesus of the Bible, the whole Bible, it's going to change your life. It's going to change your life. And so when he says he's heir of all things, that's, that's the key there in this. Because an heir in Old Testament time, what that did is that saying, hey, you're in control of everything. This is your father's estate. You're the heir. You can do business as you need to do business. You run the show. You're in charge because you're heir. The eldest son would be the heir. So when we see that he's the heir of all things, that's telling us he's in charge. He's running the show. What that then also means for us, because we know from Romans that we are co-heirs with Christ, that's good news. Good news for us. Because then we get to be with him in his presence 
Through him, only through him, can we then be in the presence of the Father. Like, this is big stuff that he wanted them to understand, that the whole creation is his, that he spoke to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Like, go read in, in John, it says the word was with God and the word was God. Like, there's that. And then you go to Colossians and you, everything was created by Jesus and for Jesus. Like, it's all about Jesus. Every last bit of it. None of this is to miss him. Like, he is king. And that is exactly what we see. He's sitting, he's sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Like, because of his position, of who he is. He's king of the universe. He's upholding all of it. I don't know that we can fully comprehend it all. Because when we read it, it says that he's even the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word. We can't even be in the presence of God apart from Jesus. Like, you go back to the Old Testament, again, this would matter so much. Because what Moses goes up and gets the Ten Commandments, he comes back down, his face is shining so bright people can't even look at him. Abraham, God tells him he's going he's to let him see him, and he tucks him away in a cave and, and like has to block his glory. And Moses, or I mean, Abraham can see just part of his back go by. Otherwise, he would die. When Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and there's three of his apostles are up there with him and they're like, what do we need to do? Do we need to build a tent? Like we need to shield ourselves from this. And he wasn't even in his full glory. And so all that to say like this is who Jesus is. He is the radiance of God. He is not a cheap copycat. He is not a, he's not real, real close to being exact. He is the exact imprint of his nature of God in the flesh to us so that we may know him. And then he says this thing, and I'm going to skip over this because I want to break down the seated on, at the right hand of the majesty on high. But he, he, he says this, he goes, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. It's interesting that he says that, and, and here's why. Because remember, they're Hellenistic Jewish Christians, right? So they're Greek. The, the Greeks had a pretty common way of wanting to like, really get into the spiritual realm and angels and elevating angels higher than they should. And so what he's doing, again, he's going back and he's saying, hey, hold on. Because if you say that the angel of the Lord was a type of Christ, then it's real easy for them to get mixed up, right? He's saying, no, no, no. His name that he's inherited, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, is the name higher than any other name. The angels are his creation. He's not just an angel. He is the Lord of the angels, he is the creator of the angels. So like he wants to, he wants to make sure like they don't get lost in that because we can get lost in stuff like that too. We can get real sidetracked and then get misunderstandings of who Jesus really is. So again, our point in this one right here is before we move on is Jesus is. We know that he is the purification for our sins. And so that leads us to our next point. I want, I want to put this up on the, the screen, uh, verse three there, so that you can see the part that it says that, he, is a, he upholds the universe by the, power of his, by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he is the high priest. So as we move to this next point, he is the high priest. And so our next point is this, is the work of our salvation is completely finished and accomplished through Jesus. Nothing else, no one else, nothing that you need to do Again, I've already said it. Jesus will not love you more in 10 years. 
He loved you as much as he's going to love you, which is infinite love. Now, when he saved you, before he saved you, he loved us while we were still sinners. And then he came to die for us. You didn't even do anything that he looked down. He's like, oh, man, look how nice they look. I should save them. Nope. He looked down. They're a freaking mess. And they hate me, and their children are wrath. I need to go die in their place. Let me go. And he went. So he makes this purification for our, for our sins, and he sits down at the right hand of the Father. I need your complete attention for this as we kind of bring this all together. Because this is, this is big. Because these people would have got this. When he says that he sat down, dude, the weight that carries is insane. Because here's the deal. This is how they used to go. You can go read in Leviticus like 1 through 10 and go on even more so. And there's other spots in the Old Testament about like all the different practices they had to do for the purification of sins, for forgiveness of sins. There's all these rules. Rules at the rules of how you can sacrifice a dove or a pigeon or fr fruit and anything, grains, all of it. All of it. There's rules, very, very strict rules. This is what the animal's supposed to look like. This is how you do it. This is what this does. I don't have time to unpack all that. So when they did all that, that was a continuing process, that they always had to be making these sacrifices for the purification of their sins. That's what they did through the whole Old Testament time, all the time. And then one time a year, the high priest would have to go through this whole purification system, get himself all ceremonially clean with the right clothes on, and then they would go to the temple, to the, to the inner part. And there's this huge, huge, thick curtain, like super thick fabric. And they would tie a rope around him, and he would go back there. And he would make sacrifices for the people, for God's people. So much so that the, like, the city would reek of blood. The reason they tied a rope on him, around him, was because if he went back there and he wasn't right with God and didn't all the right rules, exactly how God's word laid out, he's going to get struck dead. And then he's going to lay back there and rot. So they got to be able to pull him back out. All right? So when you think about all that, that priest would be back there for a long, long time. Like, he didn't sit down. There was no chair back there to take a break. He wasn't getting, you know, a coffee break and then a lunch break. Like, this dude was back there working to make sacrificial atonement for the people of God. This is what his job was to do. Well, why? Well, here's why. Because sin is reality. There's not a one of you in this room or anyone watching online who can deny sin. You can try maybe to say that some of your lifestyle isn't sinful, but really if we got to the heart of it, I could probably show you like where you got some, a lot of sin in your life. I do. I'm not judging you by one bit. I get it. I'm, I'm, I sin right along with you. We feel the effects of that sin in our life. Sometimes and just in our bad choices, sometimes because we lose loved ones or relationships get messed up and, and things, we just turn on the news and you, can, and you can see, right, like just how messed up the world is. It, it has a power on the whole world. When you read the book of Romans, you can see that like, this sin is not this occasional thing that just pops up and rears its ugly head every once in a while. It is a consistent disease in everyone's lives that literally has rendered us dead in those sins. And the outcome is eternal death, separated from God. Like it is a disease going through us. It moves our hearts away from God. It moves our will away from God. It moves the whole world to do horrible, heinous things that we cannot even comprehend at times. And that priest, that was his job, to try to atone for all that. He couldn't. He couldn't do it. And that was the point. All this Old Testament stuff, 
Long ago, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. It wasn't just prophecy. It was the whole thing. It was all trying to show them, you're going to need a Messiah, and I'm going to send him. Have faith in that. Trust in that. So it took all that to, for them to like try to atone for their sins. And then Jesus comes, and he's like, I got this. I got this. I'm going to be the high priest, but I'm also going to be the sacrificial lamb, the perfect, spotless lamb who knew no sin, became sin, so that our sin may be atoned for. That's who he is. That's what he did. And so when he dies on the cross, he says, it is finished. Like he's giving up his soul in that moment. His spirit's, he's giving it over. He's, he's dying. But yet when he says it is finished, it is literally finished. It's done. There was nothing else to do. He didn't do that, and then you need to have good church attendance too. He didn't do that, and then you needed to give a certain amount of money. You didn't, he didn't do that, and you need to be like nice to your spouse. Yes, you should do all those things because of your identity in him, not so you can have identity in him. He did all that. It's done. It's finished. He sat down. Because you know what happened? That curtain that the high priest went behind, thing ripped in half. It's gone. Like, they didn't know what to think. Like, this isn't a curtain that, I, like, you can just go and tear or your dog could jump on and scratch. Like, this is, like, a thick curtain. That thing, and it ripped from the bottom up. Like, he tore it. It's gone. It's eliminated. And so then he goes and he sits down at the right hand of the Father. And he's like, I got this. I got it. He did all that what animal blood couldn't accomplish. He did what you couldn't do. He saved us from our sins. He atoned for them. So hear me, you cannot earn it. You cannot be good enough. You are saved by grace through faith, which is a gift of God, so that no one may boast. Like, that's who he is, and that's what he did. And the, and the author of Hebrews is like, you got to see this. You got to understand all that stuff you want to go back to, it's only pointing you to the one true Savior. And so he gives us this hope that through his finished work, that we could stop just running ourselves ragged, trying to be in good graces with God, trying to do the right thing. He saved us. He's made us sons and daughters of him, co-heirs. And now all we have to do is find our identity in him. And that, that alone will drive your behaviors. And you'll be astounded. Because even when you're in your sin and you're mad at God, like I was a week ago, you can't stay there because you realize how good he is and what he's done for you. So I want you to stand with me. We're going to wrap this up. Here's how you can respond. There's a few things. One, I'm probably not the only one in the room who's been in a place where you just kind of got sideways with God or had misconceptions of who God is for whatever reason. Maybe you just need to take a second and repent. Just pray and say, God, I'm sorry. I got, I'm, I'm not looking who you really are. I made you to be something, a God who okays what my lifestyle, and that's not okay. Like, you're, you're bigger than what I can comprehend, but I'm going to try to understand you through your word the best that I can. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here today, and you're not a believer, and you've been that person who you're still almost stuck in those Old Testament times trying to earn your salvation by doing good things. You can't do it. 
It's the time to surrender, like those young three teenage girls who surrendered and said, I can't be good enough, but Jesus is, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my faith in him, and I'm going to show everybody that by getting baptized. Maybe that's you today. You need to give your life to Christ for the first time and then talk to one of us about getting baptized. That water's still at 91 degrees, so it ain't even too late. We'll stay here all day. But then we're going to take communion because through his death, that's why we have atonement of sin because he sacrificed himself. And so if you're here today and you're a believer, I'm going to invite you to take communion. There will be three different places you can see on the screen like how to do that. There's also boxes on each end, and you're more than welcome. If you feel like you want to give, you can give. If you don't want to give, that's, that's up to you. Like we don't expect that, but it's there. It's, it's, it's available to you. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11 about communion, and then we're going to respond to who God is. Lord, thank you for your word that we may know you, that we, may, can, that we even get the, uh, the opportunity to, knew, to know you, that you loved us enough to speak from long ago and even now through your word, through you, Jesus. So God, help us to know you. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts and our minds so that we can have the right picture of who you are. And then Father, I, I, just, I pray, God, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you or anyone watching online, God, I, I beg of you to, to save them, to convict them of their sins and to bring them to you through the gospel. It's your power to save, Lord, so I pray and ask that you will save them. God, convict us where we have fallen short. Help us to repent. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This is what it says concerning communion. For I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's proclaim what he did for us on that cross.